electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Activists in action as Peltz declares victory on Disney. Loeb sets his sights on Salesforce. We're going to get to all of that, plus some really interesting new moves from the Investment Committee today. Joining me for the hour, Shannon Sakosha, Josh Brown, Bill Baruch, Jim Labenthal, Bemos, Brian Belsky here on set. Let's check the markets, see what we're doing. We're off the best levels, as you know by now. Dow's still hanging on to positive territory, though. Discretionary, a good leader today. It's been the best sector of the year. Casinos are running hot. We have an exclusive interview coming up today with Wynn's CEO, MGM, Las Vegas Sands doing well, Ralph Ross, Tapestry Hilton. So it's a discretionary kind of day. And of course, we're going to get to Disney and all things there. However, I do want to begin with one of our own. Josh Brown with a new move, a new stock. It is Toast, T-O-S-T, which Josh Brown just bought. Tell me why. Um, I took a very small position. I anticipate adding to it. They have earnings coming up on February 16th. The last two times they reported earnings, the stock went down a lot. So nobody should think that this is my only price that I'll be buying it at. And I would not recommend anyone following me in here uh, as a trade. This is an investment for me. Uh, But basically, the story of Toast is very simple. The company was founded in 2011. They went public in 2021, about 10 years later. Uh, This is a a full-sized business in a sort of small market cap, about $12 Um, The high was uh, $65 a share shortly after coming public during the 2021 bubble. It has since been absolutely crushed, although on its way back. But the business has never been in better shape. They reported the second uh, the September quarter revenue grew 55 percent to about 752 million for the quarter. So they're doing billions in revenue. They have uh, over a billion in cash. And they are providing all of the digital transformation systems to the restaurant industry that the restaurant industry very badly needs. They've got 74,000 restaurants. Um, The the last estimate that I saw what the total size of this market could be is something like 830,000 restaurants. So they really have not penetrated much of the market, although they are the industry leader. Um, I like the stock because... Uh, it is a play on the increased propensity for the consumer to spend and go out to dinner. Uh, and point of sale system is just the beginning. They're really uh, entrenched in all areas that restaurants need them to be. Um, and, they, and they've got systems in the kitchen and they handle the gift card programs. And it's just like a very big and, and horizontally sprawling business mm-hmm. focused on uh, this this specific industry. So, uh, again, I don't know if, if this is the bottom for the stock. It certainly could report earnings and, and fall, but they are very rapidly growing, and I think there's a secular growth story here that is much better than trying to buy any individual 
restaurant stock. This one covers the, the whole spectrum. All right. And we see it on the move. Um, maybe, Brian Belsky, we should be paying more attention to the strength of the consumer other than just paying it lip service of one of the reasons why the economy has remained as strong as it has in the face of the tightening that we've seen from the from the Fed. We say the consumer's strong, but I don't hear a lot of people buying a lot of consumer related stocks. No, you don't. Thanks so much. For why? That. Well, I think it's because, Scott, uh, the sector last year got so crushed. But remember, <clears throat> Tesla and Amazon are the biggest stocks in there. So they skew the performance and they skew the valuation. So if you look at an equal weighted consumer discretionary sector, which we think is the correct way to do it, the sector is doing marvelous. And I think what's happened with the consumer, as you know, with the resiliency of the consumer, consumers are smart. They're still spending 100 bucks, but they're doing it instead of at 10 stores, they're doing it at three. And so that's why we've been saying for a while to tighten up your positions in the consumer discretionary land and stick with those hallmark names. And you're going to talk about tapestry, you're going to talk about... Home Depot. Well, I mean, the names that are doing well. Yeah. I mean, today it's a Ralph Day. It's Ross. It's Tapestry. It's Hilton. It's travel. We know, we know where people are spending their money. In part, they're spending it at theme parks, which is a segue to Disney. And this incredible moment today of the Iger interview and then the Peltz interview following that, suggesting the uh, proxy fight's over. There's a statement out just a short time ago from Tryon, pleased with the role that they were able to play. We congratulate Disney and Bob Iger on their recently announced operating initiatives, which are a win for all shareholders and broadly align with our thinking. So once you get Jimmy at the shareholder here, uh, one of them at least, once you get past this amazing moment that unfolded, the rubber now needs to meet the road on this restructuring plan from, from Iger. The stock initially was up a lot more than it's up now. Okay, I, I want to know what your take is and and how you see this all unfolding here, because the hard work is just beginning, not ending. You, you just nailed it. OK, and this is what I was trying to say to you in overtime. Um, you caught my tone, at least you caught my emotion that I was kind of not that pleased. Right. Because what I wanted to hear is that the businesses are going great and they're adding subscribers hand over fist. That's not what I got. What I got is the business is kind of OK, but they need to do some restructuring to make it good. OK, this is exactly where the hard work comes in. I think Mr. Iger's up to the task, but there is a question. And I asked it to you last night in a quasi rhetorical way. Are we going to cut the fat or are we going to cut into the muscle. Now, it, you, can't be, you can't answer that right now. You don't know. I think that Mr. Iger has a better hold on the creative forces at Disney than Mr. Chapik did. Uh, so I'm very willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. But I just I have to make this point that, you know, to see the stock go up as many have gone up because of cost cutting, because of headcount reduction, is to me a little bit of a sugar high. I need to have the meat and potatoes of the business doing better. Businesses, plural. That being the theme parks, the studios, and the streaming business. Now, now ESPN's in its own little category. They say that's not because they're going to hive it off, but mm, boy, it sure does look like that's what they want to do with it. I mean, that's just me talking. Well, I mean, he was asked about ESPN. I know. He said he's not. Said they're not. But, I know. but the caveat to that that I wrote down to what Mr. Iger said was as long as it remains profitable. Okay, that wasn't a slamming the door fully in the future. Um, dismissing it completely out of hand. Okay. Yes, and he's also got a bigger, more immediate problem, which is Hulu and the uh, Comcast agreement. Non-committal there. there as well. Uh, uh, true. He's non-committal. There's a, there's a, as you said, all right. There is a lot of work to be done. The rubber hits the road. In my opinion, they've got to figure out the Hulu situation with Comcast. So first. let me ask you this: If there's a lot that still has to be done, and the hard work is just beginning, are you glad that the proxy fight is over? Yes. 
Yes, because it's a distraction that's out of the way. Now, interestingly enough, and you know I wanted Mr. Peltz on the board, but now Disney's two for O on these activists. And I forget, was it Dan Loeb? About six months ago, it was Dan Loeb, right, who came in and he talked to then Mr. Chapik, the CEO, and said, "Eh, "Okay, you guys have it under control. All right. So that's actually a good sign. I mean, listen, Mr. Peltz wouldn't back. You know him. He wouldn't back down if there was work to be done there. He feels good about what he sees. Well, the stock's up a lot since he came along and they being Disney, they have done a lot of things that they suggested they should do. So it's an easy opportunity to declare victory. Uh, yeah, right? I mean, it's up, what, 20, 22 percent since oh, he came in? Well, OK, I mean, well, that's a lot. And I, well, not only lot, that, but I don't think that's why. I but don't think they implemented the a lot of the things that Peltz and company were, were talking about. Bill, you got it, too, right? You're yes. in Disney. Yep. You I'll happy with today? I'll buy more if it gets down to 108. I, I am happy with today. The, the numbers you mentioned subscriber growth. I think that's a one-time drawdown in subscribers tied to uh, India sports sports uh, media. Um, I, I think that we'll see subscribers pick back up. I, the cost cutting is, is a big thing here. What we've been saying is, and as you say, it's just begun. This this this, this is the greatest storytelling brand ever, and they have their own story to tell. And this story has just begun. He is putting this to work right now, and nobody knows his business better than Iger. So I, I, I like the direction that we're already heading. Okay, I I couldn't help but wonder in some respects, as I said, the stock was off the best levels if it was in part because Peltz is ending the proxy fight. And in some respects, there's the, you know, no longer somebody standing from the outside over the shoulder and pressing the case and making sure that they get what they say they're going to get done. But that's just me. I, I was just thinking that. I wonder, Surat Sati has joined us here, too. He's another Disney shareholder. And, Surat, you said from the outset that you were a fan of, of management here. You were not going to vote for Peltz if it came down to a, a proxy fight. Um, it's obviously not. What's your reaction? Well, I, I think the, the right thing is now let management uh, focus on execution. And, and really, they're going to have their feet to the fire. There's a lot of work to be done, as you guys have just talked about. I think execution in all the different uh, three different divisions they have. And, you know, Jim's point about um, uh, ESPN, I think, is absolutely spot on. He's isolating ESPN so that, you know, for the public to see what's going to happen there. And then you can easily spin it off or sell it to somebody else. But the focus here is going to be execution. You know, go back to the word of uh, the metaverse of efficiency and really try and see how you can grow cash flow and earnings. I mean, there's a lot of potential here. You have huge amounts of recurring revenue. You have a lot of things that you can you can do with creative and the amusement park. So I, I think if they can do that, um, and also don't forget, we've got succession issues, too. So there's a lot of work to be done here. It's a good thing Pelsa's has backed off. But, look, the other thing is if things don't work the way they're supposed to, he can come back, or you can get a bunch of others come back. Again, just look at what's going on with Salesforce with five activists in there. So uh, I do think it's going to be uh, under a, a keen full wash eye for Disney shareholders. All right. So, I appreciate you calling in. I'm going to move because I got a lot to get to, but I did want to hear from you since we talked about it a lot. Shan, you have a take here? Yeah. So, Scott, we actually sold out of our Disney position uh, a couple of months ago, and I think there are um, significant questions, I guess, in terms of the execution. I was happy, actually, to to see ESPN being carved out because I do think that that's a bit of a distraction if you think about potential growth avenues and the impact of ad spending on that division. Um, I, I think that, you know, Jim is right in that we are sort of thinking about it in terms of what are the money makers here. I mean, I think this emphasis on park revenue um, and how much 
those of us who held Disney and perhaps have held it through that period, we were really looking for the rebound there, and we've seen it. And so, you know, can they bring that similar momentum to other portions of the business? I'm always happy to see kind of an activist threat kind of removed, especially if it if it yields some results. But I think succession is going to continue to weigh on this stock, and so um, I wouldn't be necessarily jumping back in on this news uh, because I think that there is a little bit more wood to chop. All right, the other active we mentioned right at the top of the show was the activists are active. Uh, certainly the activist action today. Sources confirming to me that Third Point has in fact taken a stake in Salesforce, the fifth known activist shareholder with a position there. Jimmy, you, you have this stock too, and we've talked to you all along the way as each activist has emerged on what's going to happen with uh, a stock that year to date has gotten a big, big pop. It's up 30 plus percent so far. Well, and I think it's all on these activist news. Um, you know, uh, first off, the stock has come down a little bit. It's a more manageable multiple, about 29 times forward earnings. Um, but clearly, the growth rate has decelerated. So that 29 times multiple might actually still be too high. I think that's why the activists are coming in here. Look, this is going to be a titanic clash of egos. Mr. Benioff has done a great job building this company. I mean, he has. And now he's hitting a little bit of a hair bucket here, and the sharks are, are smelling blood in the water. I think what's going to be interesting here, Scott, you know, how are all these activists going to play well together? You think Dan Loeb and, and Mr. Singer are going, to, are going to do so well in the room together? I, I just don't see that happening. If I were Mark Benioff, I'd kind of sit back and let the sharks, you know, feed on themselves. But what do you what do you want to see happen here? Right? I mean, they've this, done a lot of so, acquisitions. Yeah, there's a reason why the stock was was down a lot. Let's not act like everything was just cozy and rosy and the activists showed up. Well, okay, I didn't okay. mean to seem cozy and rosy, but here's the point I would make on this. We talked about Cisco yesterday, remember that? And Cisco has been saying for the last few quarters that enterprise spending is doing great. So what the heck's going on with, with, uh, with uh, Salesforce here that has not been showing the same signs? I think the activists may be putting those two uh, companies next to each other, not publicly, but saying, well, what's going on at Salesforce? Why can't you grow at the rate that you're, you were growing? Now, I have to say this. The product that Salesforce delivers is fantastic. It is fantastic. I think this slowdown we've seen over the past couple of quarters is temporary in nature. It is probably some companies pulling back in anticipation of this recession that, as we've been discussing, may not even occur. And as that becomes perhaps more clear, then the CapEx spending on things like Salesforce are likely to pick up. You sold it in December, right? Did. Why? Uh, more of a tax loss harvesting, but I wasn't sure of the direction. So I, I like the activism here. The company has the free cash flow. They have great retention rates. But at the same time, I think a lot of their growth has not come organically. It's come by acquisition. So I, let's see where they go from here. I think that I, it's on my radar again. Josh, I mean, it, it just raises... To my mind, again, this issue of these, uh, you know, so-called high beta, uh, highly volatile stocks, uh, highly shorted, more speculative in nature, higher valuation names that have been running this year. And this is case in point on that list. It's up better, as, as I said, than 30 percent. I think you have to separate uh, two separate reasons for why uh, this stock and many other stocks in the space have struggled in the last six months or so. Um, because one is inside of their control and one is not. So one of the big overarching ideas that everyone just has to get comfortable with is that when things do slow down, every company that's a customer of Salesforce, and they have a lot, <laughs> does the same exercise. They look at how many seats they're paying for with Salesforce. They look at how many applications they're paying for. They look at the bill, so to speak, and they ask themselves, well, 
the boss wants a 15% cost reduction in 2023. Where's the money going to come from? And Salesforce charges a lot of money, and most companies got very comfortable and very, you could call it lazy and bloated um, with how they're spending on enterprise software, on SaaS, on all these solutions, and every company could find places to cut. And every company can call up and say, I want to renegotiate. And that is what's happening across the board. That is not a Salesforce-specific issue, but they happen to be emblematic of just this kind of like malaise that settled in and people got less hungry and there was so much money being made in 2020 and 2021 and so much of a desire for more digital, more tech spending. And now we see that process in reverse and there's nothing on the planet that Salesforce can do about it. This is just the kind of thing that happens from time to time. Put that issue aside. The second issue is with Salesforce itself. Think about how much money that they have been making and how uh, fat, dumb, and happy a company like that can get. You're going to have corporate bloat from within. They've got layer upon layer upon layer of middle management. And when activists look at the landscape, it's not just Salesforce. They see that everywhere they look and they say to themselves, this is an amazing business. They have locked in customers. Like anecdotally, I'll tell you, I can't leave. I have too much on the platform, right? So they have me. But- um, there's always an opportunity to look at what Salesforce is spending on all of this middle management and say, you know what, maybe we don't need to do that. Maybe we don't need this many people calling this many accounts in the mid-Atlantic region or whatever. So you're going to see that process play out, and Salesforce will ultimately get hungry again. And we're seeing that with the tech giants all over the place. And maybe sometimes you need an activist to kind of nudge, because when you have these visionary founders like Benioff, who's obviously incredible, uh, they don't always see what an investor who's focused on the bottom line sees, uh, and they don't always move until they kind of have to move. Well, so that's a process that'll play out. I think it's good for shareholders for there to be activists should, here. Should investors get hungry, to use your, your words, at, 30, at a 30 PE? Does that, does that make sense? Should we get hungry and buy this thing? Um, I think that's a time frame question. I don't think a turnaround uh, of the, the likes of which the activists are looking for here is something that gets resolved in a week. I know we have a tendency of focusing on, like, what did the stock price do today? Big picture, this has been underperforming. It's an amazing company. It has huge potential. And they need to refocus. And I want to go back to Disney for a second because it, it's different industries and different issues. But the overarching premise is the same. There is a post-bubble playbook that every CEO is waking up to, and it really works. And if you listen to the way Iger handled his remarks, that is the playbook. And Iger uh, was going to run for president, and maybe, it, maybe he should have because he's a really great politician, and he gave everybody something that they wanted. He did a nod to the creatives. He did a nod to the legacy TV business. He talked about discipline. He's reintroducing the dividend. It's like every party looking at Disney, working at Disney, partnering with Disney, got a little something. That's what you'll see out of the sales forces. They're listening, and the activists force them to listen. And the media amplifies what the activists are saying, and it becomes a mantra. Okay. And ultimately, it works. Bill. You'll get more discipline on spending. You'll get layoff, uh, layoffs and headcount reduction. And ultimately, you'll get more capital return to shareholders. And that process is playing out everywhere right now. It's a playbook. And actually, it really works, and Disney is the latest example. It's playing out, Belsky, in big tech, 
right? I mean, the layoff announcements have already already happened. Businesses that are being right sized. Is this trade? I mean, it's one of the best sectors to start this year. Yep. It was one of the worst last year. We, we all know the history. Yep. Is it legit or not? I think it is, Scott. But I take two steps back and look at what's happening in tech and communication services is very reminiscent of what happens in more cyclical businesses like materials or gold or oil. What do I mean by that? You have this big cyclical boom. Now you've had a cyclical bust. And then at the bottom toward the bust, you get religion. So what's religion? You cut costs, you pay a dividend, you become much more conservative. So we're just right-sizing the business and we're being much more modest in terms of what we're trying to do. And that's exactly the message that you've heard from Iger and you're going to hear from Salesforce. Okay, they're they're finding religion, but is it blasphemy that these stocks are up to the degree in which they are to start the year? Or is it just a reversion? (laughs) Is it, you know, the end of tax loss selling? Is there more? Is there legitimacy to it? Is, is I what think I want to know. So it's a great question. I think there's legitimacy for certain names, but not for the sector overall. Because typically and historically, coming out of a bear market bottom, you have you have the, the prior leadership leading again, and that's tech. But what we believe, as we continue to go on with this recovery, Scott, we're going to see new leadership, and it's probably not going to be tech. But at the end of the day, you want to still have that tech exposure in certain names, not the entire sector. All right. We're going to take a quick break. We come back. Call of the day. A downgrade for one of the big banks saying the stock's expensive and overvalued. It's basically a call to sell it. Steve Weiss owns it, which is why he's going to call in with his take next. We're back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier. Because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit ODFL.com. Old Dominion. Helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, welcome back. A bearish call today on Bank of America of all stocks. KBW downgrades it to underperform. They cut the price target, too, to 33 bucks. Halftime committee member Steve Weiss owns it. He joins us now on the phone. It's our call of the day. Weiss, you're the first person I thought of when I saw this downgrade because you love this stock and you like Moynihan, who runs the company. So what do you make of this call? Yeah, well, I would say I think Moynihan does a phenomenal job as one of the top CEOs in a group that has all CEOs. Are, are stellar because they've been battle-tested. I wouldn't say I love the stock. I like the stock because I own it. Not one of my top positions to come back on it. I don't really disagree with the call. And what the analyst is essentially saying is that 
on a historical basis, this is overvalued relative to the super regionals, and, and that may be true. But from my standpoint, just as one investor, I've owned this for a while. I've got a long, some nice you've owned it for a long time. You've owned yeah, it for I a have. Long time. I have. So I've got some nice gains in it. So I'm unwilling to, because of, you know, I'm going to continue to own it for a long time, because I'm unwilling to sell it and then pay taxes and then only potentially go back into it at a later point in time. So you'll see these, you know, the volatility in terms of valuation ebb and flow as you hold the stock for long term, and I'm okay with that. But if I were putting new money into the sector today, uh, it's unlikely that B of A or J.P. Morgan, frankly, any of the banks, are where I would go at this point. Why is that? Well, because I think you've still got a challenging yield curve for the banks. I do believe we're going into a recession and that you'll see uh, continued uh, additions to their uh, to their NPL reserves. And uh, the calendar has opened up a little bit, the M&A calendar, that is, as well as the um, IPO calendar has opened a little, but very, very little. And I think it's going to shut again. So, so for all those reasons, I just don't think it's a great time to invest in banks. Boy, I wish it's too bad you're on the phone because I wish you could see <laughs> Labenthal's laughing at you, Weiss. I mean, as you're talking, he's literally laughing. We could show him right now. He hasn't stopped because I think um, it flies in the face. Yeah. Jimmy, what's the problem here? Well, this is this is round 25 of me and Steve on this thing that the consumer is going to die and the non-performing loans are going to explode. And Steve, we had 517,000 jobs created last month. You got initial weekly jobless claims at 190,000. I mean, come on. Just look at the data. The, the consumer is absolutely Jimmy. fine. Jim, Jim, no offense, but I'm going to take Moynihan and Jamie Diamond's view of the world over yours, not every day of the week, but every second of every day. And they're sitting right there. And forget about one job report. The economy is clearly going into, is clearly slowing down. Can if I it's not, hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. And if it's not slowing down across every metric, despite earnings being down for the quarter after 50% of S&P companies reported down 5%, and I'm not, I'm not, Jim, 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 hold on. I'm not saying we're going to a deep recession. That remains to be seen. But the facts are they are declining. The facts are the banks did increase their loan loss reserves. Those are all facts. Now, you can say what you want to say, as you've been saying for the last two years, when the market sold off measurably. And has yet to recover all that. But I'm just going to go with the facts. You can cherry pick the data. I'll look at the broad part of it. I mean, Labenthal has a wingman today and, and by the name of Brian Belsky, too. Weiss, you, you agree with hey, Labenthal? birds of a feather. Oh, my gosh. Birds so of a feather. Weiss had me when he said he liked Bank of America. So then now he's talking. So do you like it or not like it? I don't get it. And plus, you know, when you, you have a firm cutting your, your price target two bucks. It's like kissing your sister. I have four sisters and I'm not going to kiss any of them. I, I don't I don't get what the call is, Scott. So do you like it or not like it? And in and, and the whole thing about believing a Moynihan and, and Jamie Dimon, come on. We've gone back into the under promise and over delivered camp again. If you want to be in the banks, you absolutely positively have to own Bank of America. Weiss? I own Bank of America. Yeah, so but you said, I'm I mean, sorry, I'm here's sorry. what I heard you say, Weiss. Let's, let's be clear. Let's be clear, okay? Here's what I heard you say. Well, I like it because I own it. But I don't like it as much as I used to. And if I didn't have to pay taxes on it, I'd sell it. 
Let's be honest. That's what you're saying. I'm not I'm not arguing with that at all. I think it's going to be dead money for the next six months or so, as it has been for the last six months. So that's what I would say. And and I apologize. I've got to I've got to recognize the audience I'm talking to, not the viewers, because they get it. But I'll go slower, given you've got Belsky and Leibniz on set. So, so look, let's, uh, you know, you don't have to own anything, right? I own Bank America because I sell the tax hit is going to be significant. So I've got to think of, okay, if I okay. sell it, All right. what's it going to take me to recover that? Okay. So I'm sticking with it. Weiss, I'm going, to let you, I'm going to let you run. I appreciate you coming on. That was fun. That was Steve Weiss joining okay. us. And I would just only end with this to you with a question to, to Jim Lamenthal. If things are so great as you suggest, right, and the economy is so good as you think it will continue to be, why haven't these stocks matched the optimism that you feel in the economy? Are you only going to tell me what you tell me when I ask you the same question about like airline stuff and autos that, well, because the overhang of recession fears are overhanging these stocks, too? No, I, I mean, I, I differ with the premise of your question, which is, I mean, look at Goldman Sachs recently. Look at Citigroup recently. I mean, these stocks are actually doing quietly kind of well. Um, and, you know, one thing I just want to say this. Let me let me make this point on, the, you know, the economy's good now, but how's it going to turn out? It was June of last year that Jamie Dimon issued the hurricane comment it was June of last year. I mean, that's that's eight months ago. And we're still seeing Atlanta Fed GDP, which is the most current. Well, right, because the labor have. market has remained stronger than people how, how, thought it probably would. How can you just toss that out there like without like focusing like that is exactly why the economy is strong, because the labor market is strong. That's a, that's like the housing that's so central ticking up a little bit right now, surprisingly. Your your big bet, though, is that it's going to stay that way. Um, it, it, that is my big bet. You are correct. You are correct. Um, I, I mean, I, there's no evidence that it's doing anything other than that. You see initial weekly jobless claims. I don't mean this in a petulant way. 190,000 below 200,000 for Belsky. How many weeks in a row? I mean, your strategy. Dude, the lab, no one's arguing with you at all about I, I the labor. What, the strength I think what of we're the arguing about labor market is how is, important it is. I just want to know what's going to get these stocks going in a more meaningful going. way. A more mean, well, I think you got to get, I think you got to be a little more patient than that. I'm pretty happy with how these stocks have performed over the last three months or so. Okay. I really well, I mean, over the past year, Bank of America's down 26. Cities down are 23. Down over the last year. Thank you. I'm going to say this again. That was the most faux bear market I've ever seen in my life. If you don't get a yeah, don't raise your eyebrows. I've said this. You know where I am. Okay. I've said this before. That is going to be the biggest head fake. The if most you don't faux get bear market I've ever seen. If you don't get the recession that everybody's been crowing about, I mean, at the end of the year, how many models said 100% chance of recession? We're at 2.2% GDP looking at it right now. We've got jobless claims under 200,000. You're working me all up because I'm just stating the obvious, and I don't understand why it's controversial. Well, well I don't know. Happy times are here again. Let's strike up the band. Let's. In fact, let's take a break. <laughs> Coming up, wind shares. They are jumping post-earnings. We have a CNBC exclusive interview coming up with that casino CEO, Craig Billings. It's next. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. 
Welcome back to Halftime. I'm Frank Holland. Here's your CNBC News update. More details on the Chinese spy balloon that flew above the United States for eight days. A senior official from the State Department says the balloon carried multiple antennas for collecting signals and intelligence. The official also said the U.S. is confident that the manufacturer of that balloon has a direct relationship with China's military and is an approved vendor of the People's Liberation Army. Burke Bacharach, the composer who wrote dozens of pop hits, has passed away at 94 years old. He was one of the most successful composers of the 60s and 70s, writing several top 10 hits, including Dionne Warwick's I Say a Little Prayer and Do You Know the Way to San Jose. And an estimated 27.3 million people watched President Joe Biden's State of the Union TV address. That marks the second smallest TV audience for a State of the Union in at least 30 years, according to Nielsen. The number was down nearly 30 percent compared to Biden's first address back in 2022. That's the very latest. Scott, back over to you. All right, Frank, appreciate that. Thank you, Frank Holland. Shares of wind surging on the back of its earnings. A big day for casino stocks today. That one's at a 52-week high. We go live to Las Vegas now where our Contessa Brewer is standing by with the CEO for a CNBC exclusive. Contessa. Scott, thank you. With me now is CEO Craig Billings. You wowed the analysts with the earnings call last night. A lot of upside. First, let's start in Vegas where you set a new all-time record and, and said North America is just running full steam ahead. Is there still room for Vegas to expand with the current state of recession worries, inflation, and these big macroeconomic concerns? Thanks, Contessa. Um, well, first, shout out to the Vegas team. They had an incredible year. Uh, we don't control the macro, macro environment. So obviously there's macro, uh, there's macro risk that's out there. Uh, I think you guys are talking about it uh, just, just earlier. Uh, on CNBC. But what we do have is a whole bunch of tailwinds that we bring into 2023. We have group uh, bookings that are going to set an all-time record in 2023. We have F1 late in the year. We just opened a new show, Awakening, that has proven to be a significant draw uh, to the business. And we have uh, international travel that uh, that we didn't see in 2022. So there, there's a lot still to come, but the macro, you know, your guess is as good as ours. You cater to a high-end customer. Do you think that insulates you from whatever comes down the turnpike? To a certain extent, I believe that to be the case. We cater to aspirational and luxury customers who tend to be uh, much more resilient uh, through the economic cycle. And I think that inures benefit to us. I know it's early. But the results from Macau over Chinese New Year were pretty astonishing. You pointed out that in mass table drop, how much people put down to exchange for chips and things like that, that it hit 95 percent of 2019 levels over that same period. You're known, though, for your VIP play. Is your demographic going to shift post-pandemic to a more mass customer? Our demographic began to shift with the opening of Palace. And some folks understood that and some folks didn't understand that. So in January, we had market share that was consistent with the whole of 2019, actually, yet there's no junkets. And so I felt a subtle vindication in that, to be perfectly honest. Um, but the, the customer is definitely mass oriented now. We did see growth in our direct VIP program. So VIP customers that come not through a junket, but directly to us. And it performed very well during Chinese New Year as well. Are you optimistic about the rest of 2023? I mean, Chinese New Year is always gangbusters. Yeah, the performance post-Chinese New Year has been above expectations for a comparable period in, uh, in 2019, 2018, et cetera, which I think bodes well. The, the explosive uh, return of customer demand in Macau does make us bullish for the rest of 2023, but I will caveat that and say it's only been a month 
since the market's been open. Talk to me a little bit about your balance sheet and how you're set up going into another big investment, another big project, this time in the Middle East. Sure. We have more than ample liquidity. System-wide, we have a little over $4 billion in liquidity. Uh, the great thing about the, the opportunity in the Middle East is that we're actually only 40% of the equity, and then we have a management fee on top of that. So our equity check for that project will be relatively light. And it has a potential to be a huge gaming destination given the money in the Middle East. Yeah, I, you know, it's an interesting market. Las Vegas is incredibly unique because it's one of the few gaming markets where you have multiple customer motivations. There's yeah. a gaming motivation, there's a food and beverage motivation, there's a leisure motivation. Most gaming markets aren't that way. We'll see, but, how, that, we'll see how that one comes out. Craig, great to be here with you. Thank you for thank giving you. us the time. Scott, exciting times in Las Vegas. Boy, they just keep setting records. No doubt. And the stocks are running, as we said. Contessa, thanks so much for bringing us that CNBC exclusive sure. interview to the Halftime Report. Jimmy, um, you're the one who's been talking about these for, for a while. What, what Joe Terranova coined yesterday, dinosaurs in the desert, they're growling big time today. Um, I'm growling, not, not the presumed dinosaurs. But look, I'm a beneficiary of being able to invest with a guy like Craig Billings. All right. And this is I'm serious. As an investor, when you get the straight talk from a CEO, that is so valuable. I, I really can't put a price tag on it. And he is telling us for the third quarter in a row that all these macro worries, he just doesn't see it. Now, I don't want to keep beating this drum, but I have to, okay? Three quarters in a row, he's saying, yeah, we're aware of the macro concerns, but bookings are strong. Um, the gross gambling uh, take is strong. Hotel rates are through the roof. They're just minting money out there, and they show no signs of stopping. Stocks running. Win up 33% year-to-date. MGM just about the same amount. Up next, our chart of the day. It's a stock that is seeing a nice pop today after earnings. We have ownership on the committee, the trade, the stock, and the sector are next. Let's do our chart of the day. Ab shares higher today after an earnings beat. Shannon, why don't you take this one? You own it. I do. And, you know, I'm happy to see the results. This is a final trade for me, I think, either last week or the week before. And we still really like this company. But, Scott, I would say really looking for guidance here from management on the company. The competition for Humera. This has been a a, um, a known concern, and frankly, the Renvoke numbers were a little weak this quarter. We have to see strong results from Skyrizi and Renvoke to really backfill the loss of Humera revenue. And so, getting some guidance from management in terms of what their expectations are is going to be critical to pricing this stock for the rest of the year. Okay, a couple other things I want to get to uh, in, in this segment. Uh, Josh, so we mentioned Toast at the top of, of our hour today, this new buy. You also did buy more Nextera Energy, NEE. Can you talk about that one, please? Yeah, so this is a company that reported earnings. It was a little bit of a mixed picture. Remember, this is two companies in one. Uh, about two-thirds of the revenue come from Florida Power and Light, which is the largest regulated utility in the country, I believe. And then a third of the revenue comes from the renewable energy and services business, which is the, the growth piece. Um, but they had a change in the top. And, you know, there was, there was some management turnover that the street wasn't expecting. I think that kind of threw people for a loop. The stock traded lower. Um, I like it right here. I added to my position. And there is some insider buying. So go ahead and look up which executives are actually adding to the stock right along with me. And uh, that's, that's, that's what the story is. Okay. Bill Baruch, you bought McDonald's. Yes. Right? Yeah. Why? 
Well, we sold Dollar General and used that cash to buy McDonald's. I, I really like the way these technology can build loyalty. And they have 43 million users on their app right now. Also, I like the way they're going with the franchise model. They ran, um, they only run 6% of their companies now, and their operating margins have gone from 30% to 55% in the last four years. You sold Dollar General, and these are, I think, since the last time we saw you, right? You sold Dollar General, Pioneer, Deer, and Berkshire. Wow, you sold Berkshire? Yes. Why'd you do that? It hasn't gone anywhere recently. You trying to get Josh angry at you? What'd you do? It hasn't gone anywhere recently. I, I'm a little nervous of the oil side as well as Apple. Kind of, we already have exposure to Apple. I'm nervous about oil as I sold Pioneer. Um, I think right now, um, if oil can't get above 82, 83, we're, we, it's more likely to see a break below 70 in the near term. Why'd you bring that up? Because the oxy? Because the oxy, oxy exposure as well and, the Pioneer, and tying that into Pioneer. Josh, what do you think about that, the Berkshire move specifically? I mean, it, it could certainly trade lower. I'm, I'm an investor here. I don't know what the next, you know, 10, 15 percent in the stock will be, but I'll be in the stock for probably forever. So, OK, up next, Mike Santoli. He'll join us for his midday word. And still ahead, we will grade your trades today. Email us, askhalftime at CNBC.com. You can tweet us, use the hashtag grade my trade. We're right back after this. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. Stocks giving up their big gains, and we're just around session low. Senior markets commentator Mike Santoli is at the New York Stock Exchange for his midday word. I, I gave it all up. What happened? Yeah, I don't know what, if anything in particular happened, uh, Scott. It seems like you could call it listless. You could call it just orderly kind of consolidation here after we've had the, uh, the decent run. Nothing really going on on the, on the yield side today or, uh, or with the dollar, which are both kind of backed off a little bit to really explain things. We talked last night about just the sort of emotional current running through the market. It seems a little bit kind of polarizing, even though the uh, S&P stayed in this entire week within last re- week's high-low range. So it really hasn't made any progress up or down. Uh, you see things like, I mean, the demolition of Alphabet and really Tesla not quitting where it should probably start to quit on the upside. I think some of that has to be resolved. So I've been watching all week to see if some of the overheated stuff can, can cool down uh, without necessarily compromising uh, the rest of the of the tape, the uh, the more uh, kind of rank and file uh, stocks. That's what we're seeing. I still do feel as if, though, we're kind of in wait and see ahead of that CPI number uh, next week as the next thing to either worry about or seize upon because we're getting past it. OK, I'm looking at this uh, email that has all of the top stories today, whether it's from other media organizations, the trades as well. Headline Nelson Peltz says Disney proxy fight is over. Uh, what yep. a moment, huh? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, everything uh, that you and I have spoken about about this, I think, feeds right into this decision, which is, you know, once the numbers came out, once Disney showed itself to be doing what it could uh, in terms of what it could control on the cost side and getting the the sort of streaming profile right in terms of spending, what else are you asking for? Uh, It's up 30 percent. The stock is from the lows late last year. It's up 20 percent since uh, Pelts came in there. So, you know, you don't want to be the dog that caught the car in this instance. Like, why do you want to be on the board when most of what you were looking for maybe is happening anyway? Yeah, got a lot of other stuff going on, too. Mike, thanks. I'll see you in a few hours. That's Mike Santoli. Grade My Trade is up next. We're right back. Grade My Trade. All right, Jimmy, you're up first. Okay, Jason in Washington State. Medtronic. Own it at 86.93. I've heard lots of good things recently. Should I keep buying? What do you think? 
It's had a little bit of a rally here. I'm not, I'm not a fan of this. I sold it not that long ago. The story here has been for quite some time that elective surgery would pick up as we get past the pandemic. But you know what? It just hasn't. The stock continues to disappoint. I think you can make more money elsewhere. All right, Shan, this for you. I'm Monty Weaver, 18-year-old finance major, Maryville University, bought shares of AMD, 75 bucks. Chips or oil to the new, uh, to the new technology era. What do you think here? Yeah, this is definitely a cyclical trade. And so we're going to see some pressure on AMD. Um, just hang in there because we've got data center and PC uh, volume both being pressured. Um, but the AMD is clearly winning the Intel AMD battle. Um, and we expect continued share gains. All right, Josh from Mandy. What do you think of charge point here, which you own? I'm in the stock. Uh, it is an out of favor sector right now, and it's an out of favor strategy. They're in the midst of a land grab. They're not focused on current profitability. They're focused on gaining as much share as possible. It's a massively expanding market. They just signed deals since the start of the year with Lexus and Mercedes-Benz for dedicated charging equipment and hubs. And I think they should continue to do that, even if that's not what people are looking for in the stock market right now. I do believe the strategy will eventually pay off. I'm long the name. All right, Bill, to you from Bryson, Arkansas. Bought the GLD a year ago and basically flat. Thoughts on where it goes from here? Sound like a long-term holder. We have an allocation of gold. We're sticking with that allocation. We believe in real assets. But as a real asset, it's a commodity, and commodities can be volatile, and they're technical. We're getting a little bit of a bear flag breakdown right now, so I'd be prepared for lower prices in the very near term. Watch out for the bear flag breakdown. Ooh, the bear, I don't even know what that means, but look, you like gold? maybe it's sexy. Um, we do. We think gold benefited from out of crypto into gold, but also the rotation, I think, out of soft commodities into hard commodities. And I think given the fact that we are overweight materials in Canada, I think it's going to be a major play the next. So haven't we moved back into crypto? Well, first off, they were negatively correlated. Now they're positively correlated. They're both going up together. I don't think that's the big part of that trade's already done. I think the next rotational trade is out of soft and into hard. I only ask because gold's only up 3% year to date, and obviously crypto's had a run. The gold was up big in the fourth quarter and uh, the, to end last year, and I think that was the first part of the move. All right, good stuff. We'll do final trades next. All right, overtime, 4 o'clock Eastern, another big earnings hour this evening. PayPal, Expedia, Lyft. So we're going to see all those as they break. We'll see the stock moves as well. Bryn Talkington, Jason Snipe, Jessica Inskip, Dan Ives will be with me, and Dan Greenhouse, too. And I hope all of you will be as well in just a few hours' time. Let's do final trade. Shannon, you're up first. Danaher still continue to see a lot of opportunity for growth and margin improvement by this serial acquirer. Okay, thank you. Josh Brown. Uh, next era, nice dividend, growth story too. All right, Brian Belsky. SMMD, it's a small mid-cap uh, ETF. We think that's going to outperform large caps, part of our big call. Okay, thank you for that. Thanks for being here, by the way. Thank you. Farmer Jim. Okay, Paramount, uh, they launched in a lot of international markets in the fourth quarter that should show up in the subscriber counts. And who knows, maybe they take a page from Disney's playbook and do some headcount reduction. One of those stocks has been doing well to start the year, right? Yep. yep. All right, Bill Baruch, what do you got? Avi, great strength out of a lukewarm earnings report because of the confidence in the pipeline. I love being long out while it holds above 143. All right. Remember, join me for overtime because these earnings are important, especially, you know, PayPal is one of those stocks. It's been a battleground stock. It's done well of late as some of those more high beta tech stocks have, too. We'll see what happens, and I'll see you in overtime. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. 
You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.